Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. So welcome back to another episode of the Readerly Report. This is Gail. Nicole is still out. She will be joining us later on in the month. I'm very happy to report she's going to be back. But I'm very lucky today because we are joined by an author and we're going to talk about reading in a pandemic and writing in a pandemic and launching a book. So I'm very excited to welcome Camille Pagan to the show. Hi, Camille. How are you? Hey, Gail. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you. So Camille is the author of some of the best titled books I've ever heard. (laughs) I want to ask you about how you come up with your titles. Her most recent book is This Won't End Well, but she also is the author of Woman Last Seen in Her 30s, Life and Other Near-Death Experiences, I'm Fine and Neither Are You, and Forever is the Worst Long Time, which is a book that I read last year and adored. Thank you. And you're welcome. I'm, it was a great book. And I, your titles are very catchy because they make you think. So I definitely want to talk to you about that. Thank you. Do you want to tell us anything about you, like where you live, and tell us a little bit about what you've been doing for the last couple of months, hold up during this <laughs> awful time? <laughs> has it been a couple of months? It's gone by in such a... Time has no meaning right now for me. So I'm constantly thinking, what day is it? How long have we been here? I am a novelist. I'm the author of six books. I'm working on my seventh right now. I'm also a longtime journalist. I worked as an independent journalist for most of my 20-year career, but I've also been on staff at Fitness, Lifetime Television, which used to have a magazine. And most recently, I was the health editor of Real Simple Magazine. So I do kind of both things. Now I do a little bit of journalism and a lot more fiction. And I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan with my family. Nice. You know, it's funny. I, that doesn't surprise me to hear you say that you're a journalist because... Your writing style is very detailed and precise and, and I don't want to say analytical, but it's it tells a very thorough story. So Thanks. I can see kind of where yeah, where your roots are. Yeah. I'm also thank you. A, a big fan of Real Simple. So I'm sure I've read lots and lots of your work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I too am a big fan. I still read it all the time, which is really the marker of having had a great job. Yeah, that's true. I've noticed Real Simple has done a great job of kind of pivoting its content during Mm -hmm. this time and really focusing on 10 small things you can do today to feel productive. Yes, (laughs) that's right. It's so funny, the current editor-in-chief, Liz Vaccarillo, who I did not work with, I worked with Kristen Van Ogtrop. Liz Mm -hmm. was the first person to give me a job in magazines way back in 2000. She hired me at Fitness Magazine. We had both attended the University of Michigan, really hit it off. I thought she was wonderful. And she taught me so much of what I know about writing in general, not just journalism, but just how to be a good writer. So it's kind of neat to see that come for full circle and just to see her doing such a wonderful job at Real Simple. Yeah, I, I think she's been great. And I do read always the letter at the beginning of the magazine. Yep. I used to read Kristen's and now I read hers. And mm-hmm. it's a nice, you can sort of sense the shift in personality and mm-hmm. it's just that nice personal touch. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's start by talking about reading and then we'll get mm-hmm. into writing. But so are you a big reader or do you, is that something as a writer, you don't have enough time to do? Oh my gosh. I think if you don't have enough time to read, you have no business writing. <laughs> It is the the one requirement for the job. I have always been a voracious reader. And I think around the time that I figured out someone was writing the books that I was reading as a child, I thought, I want to do that one day. 
And mm. so even now I'm always on deadline. I am either editing a book or writing a book or promoting a book or all of the above. And then sometimes doing some journalism too. Reading daily is still a must for me because it just reminds me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And also it's just a real place of comfort for me. I think like a lot of readers, I like to escape even when things are going really well and we're not in the middle of coronavirus and quarantining. It's just a lovely step away from your own life to get perspective. And so, yeah, I read a ton. So has your taste changed or the books you're seeking naturally changed since the beginning of March? And just for context, Mm -hmm. we're recording this on June 1st. I'm not sure when this will air, but I feel like whenever one records a podcast these days, no matter what the topic is, you have to put that timestamp on it because Mm -hmm. things are changing so much all the time. I'm nodding over here in agreement. (laughs) Yeah. I just recorded a podcast for my work. I do a podcast on digital marketing. And I feel like even digital marketing, I mean, it changed in the last two months has changed tremendously. I'm in the real estate space and there's just a lot of things that are different. So anyway, so back to the question. So are you, do you feel like you're, you're a different reader today than you were say in February? You know, when you told me you were going to ask me this question, I actually looked back at my reading log. I write down everything that I read just for reference. It helps me remember the story and what I've been looking at. And I realized that my taste has changed a bit. I've put down some things that were a little heavy in favor of stories that were either very page turning. For example, I think one of the first books I read during when quarantine or shelter in place all started was My Lovely Wife by Samantha Downing. Mm -hmm. And I had been reading something else, which I won't name, which is perfectly lovely book, but I was just having a lot of trouble focusing. And I picked up My Lovely Wife, which is a thriller so well done. I couldn't put it down. I read it in two days and I felt like it gave me my groove back for reading. Mm -hmm. So I've been reading a lot of page turners and also a lot of, I'm really hesitant to call women's fiction lighter because it's, it's not, but it's a different kind of writing generally. And I'm reading a lot of women's fiction and some romance too, just things that will keep me engaged, keep my mind off of what's going on and keep me turning the pages because that's what I want right now. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so funny you say that because it just shows how different readers are. Like I actually just read a romance and I'm not usually, I don't usually read a lot of romance and I mm-hmm. read this one and again, perfectly lovely book, but it like it felt almost too light against the backdrop of what was going mm-hmm. on. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. But then at the same time, one of the books I read this month was Sing Unburied Sing, oh, which yeah. is a, also a wonderful book, but like that was almost, the pendulum was almost too far the other way. Like yes. it was, it was hard. I'm finding this odd sweet spot of pop culture memoirs doing <laughs> it for me. I just did the, um, yeah, the Demi Moore book, but I don't know. I think also just any, even just good family drama that's super involving mm, and surprising. That. That, that's also good for right now because yeah. it doesn't feel predictable, but it's letting me escape into it. I, and I just read Rodham, which that was a good, I don't know if that, that was also a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to read that one. I'm listening right now to Big Summer by Jennifer Weiner. Mm-hmm. I really love her. I've liked her books for since I picked up the first one. And that is a nice kind of, it has some drama to it. She's a very great writer. I feel like she doesn't get enough credit for her actual beautiful sentences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really engaging, takes my mind off things. I recently read In Five Years by Rebecca Searle, mm-hmm. which was build more romancy, but it was actually a really lovely story of a friendship that moved me in surprising ways. I enjoyed that a lot. And it was definitely a page turner. I thought that that was wonderful. 
You know, it's funny, that book is similar in tone a little bit to Forever is the Worst Long Time. Mm, I can see that. Yep. Yeah, because it's got it's got a love story, but it, mm-hmm. it's very real. There's some sadness to it. Mm-hmm. I would put those two very in a similar camp. Romance so without a happily ever after and all of the, the various relationships with other people that come into play in real life, I think. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times when you read a straight romance, it's really about, you know, two people and their journey to come together. And that's how it's designed. And I think that there's a comfort in coming to that kind of book and knowing what you'll get. But sometimes I also like books where you know, the ending maybe isn't happily ever after. And there's right. a lot of complicated layers to what happens. That feels very true to me. Yes, for sure. Well, I can see that that certainly shows through in your writing. Thank you. So you released a book just recently. So the end of February, is that right? Is yeah. That as well? mm-hmm. okay. February 25th, 25th, I'm sorry. The okay. ARCs were printed with the wrong date. And since then, I've not been able to remember my own pub date. <laughs> <laughs> I have that book waiting for me upstairs. And I'm very excited to start with it. And it sounds oh, like thank you. that might be what I need right now. But so tell me about what was it like to release a book? Because my heart goes out to so many authors who have mm-hmm. book tours and yep. all kinds of things scheduled. You were a tiny bit before the curve, but barely. Yeah, I had two weeks before it happened. And some of the events that I had planned were canceled, of course. I don't do as much active going around the country, going to bookstores, things like that, that other people do, which is conscious. I did that a lot when my first book came out, which was, oh gosh, a decade ago. And it was a lovely experience. But for me, you know, I've got two youngish kids and I want to spend any spare time I have writing. And so I didn't have to cancel as many things as a lot of people did. But I remember thinking, thank God that this is the book that I put out this time, because this one and well is like all my books, it is witty, but also there's a a lot that deals with loss and lost love and uh, kind of the short nature of life. But it's still a very light book compared to the last several that I put out. And I just felt like it was the right book at the right time. And I could not have known that when I wrote it two years ago. So it was really just luck. And I've heard a lot of bookstagrammers, people on Instagram, reviewers say that, oh, this was a good book to read right now. So I'm really grateful for that experience. Mm -hmm. But it's been very strange. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm even looking at my sales because my publisher allows me to look at kind of real-time data on what's selling. And my ebook sales are a lot higher than the print sales, more so than usual. And I assume that that has a lot to do with what's going on in terms of COVID. Yeah, just not being able to go into a physical bookstore and pick up the books. Yep. What are you seeing with readers? Like are readers like me, for example, Mm -hmm. sort of, do you get a sense that readers are more engaged? Like are they finding you more, commenting more, reviewing more, or are people kind of so distracted that even their usual patterns of connecting and engaging about a book are diminishing? So I would say the level of engagement I've noticed for myself is about the same. I have always been pretty open about communicating with my readers. If someone emails me, I email them back. And it seems like I get, I don't know, I'd say maybe 10 emails a month from people who just say, you know, I love the book, wanted to reach out, or I have a question about what happened. 
So that really hasn't changed. I have seen an uptick in engagement on social media, which has been really nice. I'd say primarily on Instagram, not just people tagging me, but also sending me messages to say, Hey, you really like the book. You know, I reviewed it, which I really appreciate because every review counts so much. And so that has been lovely because especially we don't have face to face contact with people and it feels even more meaningful to connect with others right now, even if it's behind a screen or on a phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bookstagram is always a very vibrant place. And it is true that people are in front of their computers and they're on their phones even more than usual. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that you're seeing an uptick in just, you know, connection there. Mm-hmm. How do you find out about new books? Are you Do you do what the rest of us do and follow blogs and podcasts? Or do you have sort of because you're an author, do you have like an insider way of sort of knowing these things are coming out? (laughs) Kind of all of the above. So a lot of the books that I pick up are just based on recommendations that I see on Instagram, or I hear about from fellow writers. A couple months ago, I read Writers and Lovers, and Lily King is represented by my agency. So I'd heard about that book for a while from my agent and her colleagues. So there's some of that where you hear this book is going to be really good. And then one of, I think, the best parts of being an author is that you get to read a lot of early copies of other writers' books for blurbing specifically. People will reach out. They want your endorsement. And so I get to see a lot of books, some of which I don't know that I would have heard about or picked up until they were put in front of me. You know, as a new author, especially, it's hard to get traction and to get people to see that you're out there. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I come across one of those gems where I'm like, this is great, then I'm going to shout about it from the rooftops for that person because... I had that privilege when I started, you know, people Mm -hmm. were recommending on Facebook because it was a while ago, there wasn't Instagram back then. But I just know it's kind of a pay it forward thing for me to let other people let my readers know if there's a book that they might like. I'm pretty active in doing recommendations on BookBub, which is for anyone who's not familiar, it's a discount book promotion site where you can find out what's on sale at any given time in the genres that you like, and also get recommendations from authors and fellow readers. And so I do a lot of recommendations there. Oh, I've never spent any time on BookBub. That's really interesting. Yeah, if you sign up, so let's say you follow me there, you will get any recommendation I send out. And you can find all of your favorite authors and get an email saying, you know, so and so has recommended this book. And it's nice because for me, I follow my, you know, authors that I like. And I also hear about books that I might not have heard about otherwise via those recommendations. Mm-hmm. I feel like it sounds like a better version of Goodreads. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not active on Goodreads because oh, as an author, it's just kind of a minefield in a way that Amazon reviews are not. And so I, just for my own mental health, try to stay off of it. I'm interested to hear you say that. How do you as an author perceive the difference between the two? I think it's pretty universal among authors. I mean, I'm not speaking for everyone, but I hear this a lot, that it is quite a bit meaner than Amazon and other places such as Instagram. And it's also a little messier in that... There's just a lot of people will accidentally one star books because Mm. they don't have a way of saying that they want to read them. And then authors get upset because they're like, why is my star rating low? And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter to your career. You should just kind of, you know, be writing for the purpose of reaching your people. And so I just find it's healthier for me to not spend a lot of time on there and certainly not read my own reviews there. You know, oh, the yeah, I mean, already I done. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's done. It's out there. It's like being told that your baby's ugly. You just don't need to hear that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
I can imagine. <laughs> but as um, a, a tool for readers, I think it's great. I'm not poo-pooing Goodreads in any way. I think that if I were not an author, I'd be more active over there. I think it's a good way to just collect what you're reading, keep track of what you've been reading, all of that. Yeah. I feel like it's a clunky site. Like as a reader, I tend to look at Goodreads reviews over Amazon reviews. They seem mm-hmm. to be more thoughtful. And mm-hmm. that's maybe that's a little bit of what you're getting at that Amazon tends to be more positive. So Goodreads for better or worse can be a little deeper, a little more, I don't know, a little more analytical. I think but, so. Yeah. I do see just more personal attacks there, which always surprises <laughs> me. And I'm not yeah. speaking personally. Like when I go to look at reviews for someone else's book, I see a lot of comments about the author that I think, oh, that's not necessary. But yeah. I think it does tend to be a little more readerly. And so you can really find a lot of those good quality reviews there too. Right. Yeah. But as a site, it's terribly designed. And I mean, people have said for years, like it hasn't been updated. It's like Amazon bought it and then just did nothing with it. And I'm holding my breath. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I think something's going to be done. I'm just waiting to find out what. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you're right. So I'm I'm excited to try out BookBub. And I've also been spending a lot more time on Bookshop. Um, oh, yes, which... I've been ordering from them. Yes, me too. And it's great. And we've yep. talked about it a lot here on the show. But for those of you who you know, haven't tuned in in a while... It's a book site, book commerce site, where the profits or a portion of the profits are funneled back to independent bookstores. So you can either just buy a book and it goes into, I guess, their general profit fund, or you can select your favorite indie bookstore, which can be anywhere in the country. Maybe it's a wonderful store you visited on vacation or, you know, that, that you'd like to visit when you go to a different town. And you can designate that store to be the beneficiary of your sale. You know, in this time where so many stores have had to close, some of them permanently, it's been a great source of revenue for bookstores. Yeah, it's a way to feel good about where your money's going. Yeah, and it's just a nice clean site. It's Mm -hmm. not Amazon. (laughs) I can't poo-poo Amazon. They publish my books and they're wonderful to me. I mean, it really gave me my career. But I am also, of course, a huge fan of independent bookstores. As I think many Lake Union authors would agree, it's, you know, where a lot of us learn to love books. Although mm-hmm. I grew up with borders in Ann Arbor. So I'm you know, I still, <laughs> still cry because it was so great to go there. You know, I remember being little and going to borders and just being amazed at the selection when they went missing. That was a great loss. Yeah, no, definitely. Tell us about your newest book. Tell us about This Won't End Well and how it is similar to or a departure from your earlier books. It is a departure in that it is epistolary. It is told in emails, some text messages, some other documents. And it really came to me that way. There was no question that I would write a straightforward narrative as the rest of my books have been. And I still don't know why, except to say maybe it fits the character. It is the story of Annie Mercer, who is a cynical scientist who's recently left her job. She's been pushed out and her fiance takes off to Paris without her and says that he needs space. And so her world blows up in a very short period of time. And she reacts by saying that she's closing her life off to new people. And she thinks that she's protecting herself, of course. And it's going well for about, I don't know, a month at most, when a new woman moves in next door, a young, glamorous woman who buys the house by herself. And Annie just She's really fascinated by her, but she begins to wonder if the woman is okay or if she's in danger. 
for reasons you'd have to read the book to find out. And she soon finds herself kind of wrapped up not only in the affairs of the woman, Harper, but also this amateur detective named Mo who is investigating Harper. And calamity ensues and Annie comes to realize a few things about herself and It's just a funny, joyful book. I really loved writing it. Not all books are the same. Some books are a lot harder to write than others. And this one was really a joy from start to finish. And so I'm really proud of it. Really happy with the way it's been received. All right. So tell us about these these titles. How do you come up with them? Like, especially I'm fine and neither are you. That's the best title ever. Thank you. It actually was initially called A Brief History of Bad Ideas. And (laughs) I started, thank you. I love coming up with titles. They usually come to me within the first couple chapters of writing a book. But in this case, I was halfway through writing I'm Fine and Neither Are You. And the main character says it to her husband. They're trying to save their marriage after this terrible thing happens. And she says to him, I'm fine. And then she says after a moment, and neither are you. And I thought, well, that has to be my title. (laughs) So (laughs) sometimes they come to me right away. Like this won't end well. I thought of that title about the same time I had the novel idea. And others, Life and Other Near-Death Experiences, have us maybe five chapters in. So it's it's a process, but they really inform the tone of the story and the trajectory of the narrative. Now, do you ever get like pushback from your editor or the publisher on the title, or have you been able to just say, this is the title and that's that's that? Miraculously, not yet. Most people have at least a few of their titles changed. I have been really lucky that all six of my books so far have been my title suggestions. So oh, that's yeah. great. I help other people come up with titles too. I just, it's, I just, I love it. I don't know. It's just some weird little gift that I got. So I help other people when they're stuck. And I'm pretty good at staying on brand for an author. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. give, you know, Kelly Harms suggestions for a Camille Pagan book. I'm, right. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it within her genre, but it's just fun. It's like a little brain game for me. This may be your journalism background too coming through because, you know, you yeah. come up with headlines or leads yep. or things that are reflective of the content and get attract the right audience. So that's- I never thought of that, but that's probably true. I mean, I must have come up with a thousand different headlines for magazine articles in my career. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just extending it into novels. <laughs> I did Forever is the Worst Long Time on audio. And oh. I thought your narrator was fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's I great. usually have Amy McFadden narrate everything. She's amazing. I just, something about her works with my books so well. But of course, Forever is the Worst Long Time is told from a male perspective, male first person. And so my publisher suggested I'm forgetting his last name, but his first name's Tim. Yeah, um, Tim C. Andres Pabon. That's right. They yeah. suggested him, and I was really thrilled with how that turned out. Oh, yeah, he was great. He's very yeah. understated, very yeah. steady. And mm-hmm. he was, he, it was funny. I didn't want to look up what he looked like because mm-hmm. I had this image in my mind of what James looked like. And I was yeah. like, I, and it, and I had and the voice fit it perfectly, and I was like, I don't want to know in what this guy really looks like because yes. it's not it may not be the same <laughs> as how I imagined it. It'll change the story. Yeah, it's true. It's like when you know a movie has been made of a book, but you haven't seen the movie yet, but you know yeah. how it was cast. It, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you the questions that we always ask of guests on our show. So Nicole's not here to help me ask them, but I'm going to keep the tradition going. So we're going to ask you about some of your reading and some of the books that you like. So do you have an author for whom you are a completist? 
where you've read all of their books. Yes. So Lori Colwin is probably my favorite author. And sadly, she passed away in the 90s. But I've read all of her books. She wrote a bunch of slim little novels, a couple story collections, and several books on cooking, actually. Home cooking is beside my bed. I read it sometimes before I sleep. And her favorite novel of mine is Family Happiness. It's just wonderful. So she is my go-to, I would say. I wish she were still alive to write tons of more books for me. (laughs) I have a book of her sitting here on my shelf called The Lone Pilgrim. Oh, yeah. That was not one of my favorites, but still worth reading. Okay. I must have read it, you know, way, way long time ago before I was blogging or everything. So maybe I will try some of her other ones. Yeah. Family Happiness. It's so good. Okay, good. All right. What's a book that everyone other than you has read? The Metamorphosis by Kafka. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine why you haven't jumped up to read that book. (laughs) Well, I don't know how strong my literary education was in high school. I really took it up a notch when I went to college. So there were a lot of books in that time period that everyone else seemed to, you know, arrive at college having read. And I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't even read The Great Gatsby until I did a postgrad course at the Radcliffe Institute at Harvard for publishing. And I remember being there and reading it in the courtyard. That was the first time I read that book. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That one I have read. I have not read Metamorphosis either. I just, it doesn't sound very appealing. No. <laughs> <laughs> and especially right now. Yeah. Oh, right. not appealing. Yeah. Yes. All right. What's a book that everyone other than you liked? So I had to think about this because I, usually find something to like in most books that I read, although I am a do not finisher. If it really doesn't speak to me, I'm not going to finish it because I just feel life is short and there are too many Mm -hmm. books. Mm -hmm. But My Struggle by Nausgaard was not for me. Everyone raved about it. My girlfriend said, you have to pick it up. It's so smart and interesting. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't finish it. Mm, Okay. Yeah. What's a book that you recommend a lot? Like if people say, I don't know what to read, do you, do you have a, any go-tos that you're like, these are the ones that I need to, if I need to give a gift or someone yeah. needs a vacation? So I have some favorites on my shelf. I love Let's Take the Long Way Home by Gail Caldwell. That's a memoir of a friendship that I read very early when I started writing. And it just was formative, I guess. It was really, it informed a lot of my writing and how I thought about friendships and what I wanted to write about. It's just lovely. Family happiness, of course, as I mentioned. I really love Euphoria by Lily King, who also Mm -hmm. wrote Writers and Lovers. That's one I could just give it to anyone and know that they would enjoy it. And then the book I've read more than I've read any book other than perhaps the Bible is Wallace Stegner's Crossing to Safety. Mm. I must have read that book six or seven times. I read it when I was very young. I had an aunt and uncle who supported my literary ambitions and they gave me that. And I just, oh, it just opened something up in me. And so I return to it a lot when I'm stuck or I want to go back to that place. It's just, yeah, hugely important to me. Can you pinpoint what it is about that book that speaks to you so much? I think it's because it takes place over a very long span of time about, you know, this couple, they evolve and their friendship with another couple evolves and you see how they change, but they stay the same. And there's something about the love and friendship element that just is wonderful. And a lot of it is very outdoorsy and it's a different place and time. There are no cell phones, (laughs) there's no email. And so it has that escapist feel to it also. And just all of that combined gives me a very particular feeling that I love. Mm -hmm. 
Do you find, this is a question that I always ask authors because I sort of have my own like theories about it, mm-hmm. but do you find writing for today's or incorporating today's technology to be challenging? Do you welcome it? Do you kind of hate mm-hmm. it? It depends on the story. So with this one, and well, it fit very naturally, although the, my editor and I spent a lot of time talking about the fact that people don't email as much nowadays, mm-hmm. but my protagonist did because that was just kind of the analytical way she dealt with things. And also in the workplace she had to. So I had to think through that, like, can I get away with writing a book that largely takes place in emails and journal entries? I should say we added a lot more journal entries as we edited the book. In some drafts, it feels more cumbersome to work that in there because you know that that's how people are communicating. So you can't pretend that it doesn't exist unless you change the time period. Right. But I don't like to be heavy handed about it because I I find it distracting in some books. And so I don't want to be distracted, you know, in my own work. Yeah. I don't want I don't want to have that element of like, oh, that's clunky. I think sometimes authors choose to set their books like in the 90s or the 80s. They want the engagement and the communication to not be digital. Yeah, no doubt. I'm sure. I think that if I could do it well, I would try it. Yeah. I don't think that would be hard to write all that research you have to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my last question for you is there's so many amazing books out right now that, Mm -hmm. you know, have been released this summer, including yours. So if I gave you 25 bucks and I sent you, I can't say into a bookstore because they're not open, but I sent you to (laughs) bookshop.org, what would you buy? So I thought about this and I would say I would buy a book for my daughter who She's 12 and I cannot keep up with her reading. She goes through more than a book a day. And so I would buy her probably the new Suzanne Collins, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, knowing that she would read it probably three times in the next week and a half. So I would get my money's worth out of that. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, it was so nice chatting with you. Same. Um, Such a pleasure. Yeah, it was great. So I encourage everybody to check out Camille's latest book, This Won't End Well, as well as all of her other amazing books and follow her on Instagram because she posts beautiful photos. Thank you. And engage with her on Instagram and follow her on Real Simple too. Thank you so much, Gail. This was a pleasure. Great. Thank you for coming on. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. 